Chapter Four of the Raid of Dover: A Romance of the Reign of Woman, A.D. nineteen forty, by Douglas Morey Ford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Star of Life. The Bladude passed swiftly over Paddington Station and followed the line of the Edgware Road to the Marble Arch. The incessant roar of the traffic below reached their ears, and it was a relief to get over the great, far-spreading park silent and only faintly lighted by the scattered lamps to the left park lane had a gloomy look the famous residences of the wealthy like hundreds of great mansions in the neighboring squares were untenanted people could not afford to live in such places nowadays the governing bodies of the capital had done their best to ruin it by socialistic experiments and overrating at hyde park corner which was soon reached once more the tumult of the traffic rose into the air, and the long lines of electric lamps stretching eastwards along Piccadilly gave the impression of an enormous glittering serpent down below. They followed the route to Piccadilly Circus, where the blaze of lights and the swiftly changing units in the thoroughfares produced an effect that, seen for the first time by Linton Herrick, held him in a sort of fascination. Trafalgar Square and the Strand produced the same bewildering characteristics, and to the right the effect conveyed by the illuminated bridges was marvelously beautiful. The bladded circled widely so that Linton might take his fill of the spectacle. Then Mr. Jardine headed her eastward again, and for a while the streets below lay gloomy and silent until they had crossed the city. Soon the lights of the commercial road and Whitechapel outlined the great thoroughfares of the East End, while in every direction branched streams of flaring, smoky lights showed where hawksters and hucksters plied their evening trade. They had sailed over the Isle of Dogs and Greenwich Reach before the President put the boat about. Then in the distance, like a lighthouse, the great clock towering over the House of Parliament came into view, the dial shining like a huge dull moon in these days it was always illuminated whether the house were sitting or in recess look exclaimed zenobia suddenly away in the heart of the southwark huge flames were shooting into the air and monstrous clouds of woolly looking smoke rolled slowly from above the conflagration a fire said mr jardine and a big one too we'll have a look at it not too close father said his daughter for the first time showing nervousness keep her to windward said mr jardine slowing down a little and the girl obeyed vast showers of sparks rose into the air they heard the hiss and splash of water and the pant pant of half a dozen fire engines as they played upon the burning buildings the light shone on the helmets of the firemen clambering here and there on the roofs of towering warehouses and dense masses of people seemed to be packed into the streets on whose pallid upturned faces the lights produced a strangely weird effect the sight below seemed full of awe and terror presently a sudden gust of wind changed the direction of the smoke column and brought a volley of sparks over the bladude hard a port cried mr jardine we'll get out of this in a moment they had veered away from the scene of the conflagration and were crossing first the river then cannon street almost at full speed the fans were set to work and they rose to a greater altitude to avoid all risk of colliding with church towers and steeples 
a dark domed mass took shape a hundred feet away and over it the great cross of st paul's loomed for an instant into view a train with faces showing against the lighted windows crawled across the railway bridge at the foot of ludgate hill and far away in the west the gleam of another fire lighted up the sky with a sudden threatening glare from below there now arose the piteous bellowing of cattle they were passing over the huge markets in smithfield and the shouts of the drovers blended with the noise made by the doomed and harried beasts whose flesh was to feed london on the morrow soon another long row of lights revealed southampton row running straight as it seemed from kingsway to euston the station clock showed that it was nearly ten they swept over the quiet west central squares over the euston road and regent's park and so onward and away until the huddled dwellings of the capital gave place to suburbs dark roads and silent fields linton through the later sights and sounds of the night was conscious of being in a sort of dream and in the dream the girl by his side was the principal nay the only figure save his own the end of a light scarf that was around her neck blew across his face the sway of the bladded brought her arm against his own and each slight contact seemed to thrill him once or twice he glanced at her face almost inquiringly for now he had the oddest feeling that she was no stranger that in reality they knew each other and had only met again that in the past somehow somewhere he knew not when there had been a kinship or a tie between them from the first moment of their meeting she had interested and attracted him of that he was well aware but not until they sat side by side in this aerial journey had the impression of which he was now conscious crept into his mind or memory what could it mean that strange exhilaration of the upper air the quickening of imagination wrought by their rapid travelling light above the solid earth and all its limitations perhaps might account in some degree for the puzzling feeling that possessed him he glanced at her again their eyes met and in hers he read or fancied that he read a telepathic answer to his thoughts suddenly he found himself repeating as if with better understanding lines that always lingered in his memory our birth is but a sleep and a forgetting the soul that rises with us our life's star hath had elsewhere its setting and cometh from afar how odd murmured the girl in a wondering voice the very lines that i was thinking of and in low tones she finished the quotation o joy that in our embers is something that doth live that nature yet remembers what was so fugitive End of chapter four